Good morning, everyone. It's an honor and privilege to be in the house of God this morning and to be given the opportunity to be able to bring the word to you. Um, some of you don't know, my name is um, Joshua Jonas. My family and I moved to Waco in August of this year, <laughs> um, where I am a PhD student at uh, the University PhD in Education. And uh, back at home in Antigua, I pastored in a circuit of Baptist churches for volumes. Yes, so God has allowed me to serve him for that long and being here with you, fellowshipping with you has been such a blessing. I want to thank God for uh, Pastor Todd and Pastor Brett who have been such an encouragement to me since my family since we've been here. And so many of you have shown such loving support to us in this cultural transition, as it were. <laughs> Um, but ultimately, um, he has allowed us, um, allowed me an opportunity to continue my education, but also to fellowship with brethren of like faith and practice. And so, um, it was it was very important to me that I try to be part of the confessional Reformed Baptist Church. And I'm happy to have found um, family so far away from home. So, thank God for this chance. My text this morning is Psalm 42. Psalm 42 was mentioned before uh, by a few of the brothers. Uh, it seems as though this text has been circling around your community as it has been in my heart. And um, as I was saying to Pastor Brent just um, before the Sunday school time, this text speaks directly to what I have been experiencing in my own life, in my family's life, these past few months. And it's my prayer that God will help us uh, understand more from Him today. Pray with me for just a Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us as we seek to delve into your word. May we be doers of your word and not hearers only, and live lives that are pleasing in your sight. Grant us the grace, Lord, to honor you spirit and truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm entitled this sermon, Hope in Despair. Hope in Despair. The text is Psalm 42. I'll read it in your hearing. As the deer pants for the waterworks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? I remember these things and pour out my soul within me, for I used to go over with the multitude and walk with them, walk them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude celebrating a festival. Why are you in despair, my soul? And why are you restless, restless within me? Wait, huh, wait for God, or hope for God, for I will again praise Him for the help of His presence, my God. My soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. 
and all your breakers and your waves have passed over me. The Lord will send his goodness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As the shattering of my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, my soul? Why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise him for the help of his presence, my God. Amen. Hope in despair. <clears throat> as believers, we have often created this notion in our minds that as quote-unquote good Christians we are to ignore feelings of emptiness, darkness and heaviness. That if you don't always have the joy of the Lord then you must not be very close to God. But if you're honest this morning with yourself sometimes the struggle can be overwhelming and you feel like you want to just give up. I'm going to be honest with you this morning, a few times in fact, I have been there. Is anyone else? Moments when you feel alone, you feel anxious, you feel overwhelmed, you feel desperate, you feel depressed, but you're saved. How can this be? Take courage, my friends, when you are tempted to give up. Be reminded that you are not the first believer to struggle and you certainly won't be the last. Sometimes I sing when I'm down. I say, music has a way of lifting my spirits and reminding me that hope is around the corner. It's music that has helped me cope with many a struggle. But depression is a serious thing, something we should not ignore. During the pandemic, many studies have shown that many individuals have suffered with depression and anxiety due to the uncertainty of their future, their financial state, their health, or even the safety of their loved ones. Since 2015, right here in the United States, the amount of persons struggling with depression has steadily increased year after year after year. The data on pastors struggling with burnout, anxiety, and, and depression, that speaks volumes. It's sad, actually. For many of these pastors speak of low attendance numbers, depleted church finances, and feelings of inadequacy as some of the main issues that they face that cause many of them to drop out, to give up. It begs a serious question. How can anyone be helped during this time? If you already didn't know, Psalms were poems set to music. They were written to awaken and impact the emotional life of the people of God. Singing and poetry affect the way we feel, not just how we think. I say this to say that in your Bible, for this particular psalm, it may have been written at the top of the psalm to the chief musician, Maskil, for the sons of Korah. It may be just at the top of, of the psalm in your Bible. Scholars tell us that the word maskil comes from a Hebrew verb that means to make someone wise or to instruct. 
So in essence, the implication is that this psalm or, or this song is designed as such that it may bring instruction or that it has been crafted to bring wisdom to the hearer. Let's not forget Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law or instruction of the Lord. And in this law or instruction, he meditates day and night. These songs were inspired by God with the intention of shaping how we think and creating a new feeling in your heart. I hope Psalm 42 does for you what it did for me. I must also say that in many translations of the Bible, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are considered to be one psalm. It appears that they were probably written by the same author. And let me offer you some quick context before we delve even deeper into what this psalm is saying, because I believe the background context will help you understand the psalm better. We don't know who wrote the psalm. Some think it's David, but we're not sure. But we do know he was presented to the sons of Korah. You see, they were a group of Levites in charge of temple worship. All we know is that it appears as though the author found himself exiled from Israel and from worshipping with the people of God. He was taunted by enemies in verse 3 and verse 10. And as seen in verse 2 and verse 9, the oppression that he received caused him to fall into depression. Yet he doesn't stay in this state of depression, but confronts his depression and runs to God with a renewed mindset. As believers, in our flesh, we despise feeling weak. We don't like it. But through God's Spirit, we can have strength that can be both sufficient and satisfying. I've also found that weakness, far from being a sign of spiritual inadequacy, is actually an invitation from God. If I'm willing to listen, as Pastor Brent said earlier, if I'm willing to listen, if you're willing to listen, and you're willing to run to him this morning, we too can learn from this psalm and develop tools that we need to battle the anxiety, to battle the depression, to battle those feelings that are holding us down and trapping us into a state that pulls us away from our God, from our church, from our loved ones. We have to get to a point where we can tackle these things in a manner that brings us closer to Jesus and puts us in a position that we can help others, but especially share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first heading I have for you this morning is the acceptance and the recognition. The acceptance and the recognition. You see, the first step towards dealing with those feelings that you're having, brethren, is to admit that you're having them. It's clear that a psalmist does both. If you look at verse 5 and verse 6 of our text and verse 11, you see him doing that. He describes himself as cast down, or in other words, laid low and in turmoil. He's in, he's in the pits. Mm. And in fact, if we look back to verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Interesting. I've noticed how a lot of Christians struggle with this. Is either you don't want to come off as a weak Christian, or you don't even know what the signs of struggle look like. 
Regardless, if you don't accept that something is wrong, you will never be able to deal with it. Pretending there is no problem, masking it with the sense of the superiority, acting as though, well, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years, so I don't struggle with this. This is not a problem for me. But it is. You're struggling. You need help. Careful look at the psalm, brethren, will show you what to look for in your own life. We already mentioned from verse 5 and verse 11 how this in, his entire countenance of the psalmist completely changed. And we all get sad or down from time to time, but depression is something different, lingers. In verse 3, we see a change in appetite and frequent crying. You mentioned before, where he says that my tears have been my food day and night. He's like, I, I can't even function normally as I used to. In verse 4, he experiences anguish when he says he's pouring out his soul. I remember these things and pour out my soul within me. The psalmist, the psalmist felt emotionally drained. Have you ever been there, brother? The point where you feel your circumstances are pulling the very life out of you. If you're able to sleep, if you're able to sleep, because some people can't sleep, you still get up feeling tired. And even though you got the required number of hours that you're supposed to get every night, you still wake up drained. You still feel these feelings of anxiety overwhelming you. And you're wondering what's, what's happening to me. Verse 7 hit me the hardest personally when the psalmist felt as if he were in the deep ocean and the waves were overwhelming him. What did he say? He says, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have passed over me. Powerful metaphor here. In fact, scholars tell us that the same words used here were used in the book of Jonah when he was cast into the sea. Maybe you feel immobilized, as if the circumstances of your life are holding you down like someone has tied you up and chained you down. You don't know how to deal with what's happening and you don't know where to begin the process of escape. In that moment, it feels like there is no escape. But there is. In verse 10, the psalmist tells us that the relentless taunting of the enemy feels like his bones are shattering. There's a common uh, nursery wine, regardless of culture, you may know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. No, 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 no. Words do hurt. They hurt. I don't know if any of you have ever received an onslaught of verbal abuse, so much so that you feel it in your very bones. It's real. Trust me, it's real. The psalmist confirms it. It's not uncommon for physical symptoms to accompany severe depression and anxiety. Headaches, ulcers, chronic pain can be connected to despair, hopelessness, and anxiety. The psalmist feels as if he's lost all hope, as if God has rejected him, as if God has abandoned him, and he's also confused by it as seen in verse 9 and verse 2 of Psalm 43. He's wondering, well, why is this happening to me? Huh. I will say, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the impression of the enemy? What, what, what's happening here, Lord? You see, when someone falls into this state, 
feelings of guilt and rejection are common symptoms. They often fatigue, they have difficulty uh, sleeping, they have difficulty concentrating, and some, sadly, even have thoughts of suicide. I'm not saying that any of these things in the isolated state can directly be attributed to depression, but I'm saying that when you're driving your car, and you see all these warning lights, check engine here, fix this, look at that. You can't keep driving as if nothing is wrong. You need to get your car fixed or you'll break down. It's obvious that our emotions are connected to our bodies. They're connected. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> Just answer this question in your own heart. Anybody have stress this morning? Do you have any stress? In your own life right now. If you have none, please tell me a secret. <laughs> I would really love to know how it is that you don't have any stress. From your job to uh, physical issues going on in your life to what's happening in your marriage, what's happening with your kids, what's happening with the economy. You watch the news for just five minutes and that will stress you out. Maybe you're just physically and mentally exhausted. Just exhausted. Maybe you need some rest, maybe a change of pace. What's also fascinating is that the psalmist fondly recalls the good old days when he enjoyed going to the house of God with believers. That's what he says in verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrimage peace. That's a, that's a new King James version. I've been there. I've been there with the psalmist was maybe you you just came off of a spiritually enriching sunday morning pastor that preaches word out preaches heart out and by tuesday it wears off tuesday you can't even remember what happened sunday morning we get beat down because of our trials and at this point in the sermon, brethren, if you've lived long enough on this planet and you're still there sitting saying to yourself, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Joshua. I, am, I don't deal with those issues. I don't have any problems. You may need to check yourself one more time and reevaluate if you're being honest with where you are spiritually. There's a certain level of honesty that I'm asking of you this morning, brethren. A certain level of honesty and maturity. I need you to look deep within yourself and connect with what the psalmist is saying. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, we can see the heart of the psalmist. And will you do so with me this morning? Understanding truly what we need to do to get back on track. Please don't let your pride hold you back. It's vitally important that we be honest with ourselves and be ready to process these feelings before God. If you are not ready to submit your disappointments to God, it will only bring you further in that hole, deeper in that hole. Self-pity is also the cause of these feelings you're having. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Pour out your soul to the Father in one long, honest conversation with God. When was the last time that you had a heart-to-heart -heart with God? Could it be that for some strange reason, your prayers have gotten to a point where 
you're just calling words. You may have gotten to a point where you're in the house of God and you're praying publicly and you are saying what needs to be said but you're not talking to God. You focus more on your eloquence and your speech. Or maybe you're on your knees and you're, you're going through the motions of prayer but you're not connecting with the Father. You're not talking to Him like a personal friend, like a loved one, like a spouse. You're not connecting with God in your prayers. You are far from God. Because you've drifted from God. But the interesting thing about that drifting, it's usually never fast. It's like a boat at sea, slow. Before you know it, you're far out to sea and you wonder, how did I get so far from shore? In a similar way, is with God. He's right here with you, and you're right next to him, and you're on fire for God, and you're connected to God, and you, 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 you're in a mode where you feel as if he is with you. And then one day you realize you've drifted from him. You took your eyes off of Jehovah and started to look elsewhere. He never moved. You moved. You have to come back to him. I remember uh, I was on a flight a few years ago. Um, I went through my mother in law was over there. <laughs> and we had some major turbulence in the air. Oh my goodness. We were flying from <laughs> Antigua, which is just at the tip of the Eastern Caribbean, down to Barbados, which is closer to South America. And the flight is about, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, that's where we're going. And the flight is about, you know, an hour, hour and a half or so. I think we may have stopped off an island in between, but the. It was some awful turbulence. I don't know if anyone ever been in an airplane with some really awful turbulence. And that's what we were experiencing. It was so bad, people in the plane were literally screaming. Every time the plane dipped. It was like we were on a roller coaster, like a literal roller coaster. It, it wasn't like we were nose diving into the Caribbean Sea, no. We weren't nose diving into the Caribbean Sea, no. But there were times where it didn't feel like that. We'll be cruising steadily, then we'll dip. Then cruise again steadily, then dip. And that kept happening over and over again, and it was awful. Sure enough, in a matter of moments, everything just went calm and we arrived safely. The pilot apologized, and to this day, in, my, in all my troubles, it remains the worst traumatic experience in the plane that I've ever had. Why am I sharing this? Why am I sharing this? Well, scholars of the text tell us that if you look closely, you will see a pattern to how this psalm is presented. In verse 1 to 4, the psalmist laments his trouble. But then in verse 5, we see hope. In verse 6 to 7, we see him going on again about his trouble. But then again, we see hope. And again in verse 9 to 10, another dip again. <laughs> but then in verse 11, we see hope again. The same thing happens in Psalm 43, hence why scholars think that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 may have been written by the same person. Now, I don't know about you, brethren, but I go through this from time to time. Cycles of going up and down, up and down, just like I did in that plane, but I never crashed into the sea. Never did. Sometimes you're going to get pretty close but the crucial thing that you have to remember when you're going through the dips and ups and downs of life, when you're feeling the pressure of everything on you 
wondering, why is my life like this? Remember that God is with you in every single struggle. He is there for you to hold your hand when you're scared. He is there to pick you up when you fall. He's there to wipe your tears when you cry. God is there for you. It was Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts in a hymn who said, How long will thou conceal thy face? My God, how long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and toil in vain? Thy word can all my foes control and ease my raging pain. His word can do that, brethren. As believers, we are responsible for living in obedience to the will of the Father. What do I mean? I'm saying that we need to develop a biblical theology of emotions and begin to weigh all of our decisions through the Word of God. I say this all the time, run every decision through the strainer that is Christ. Whatever comes out on the other end is worth its weight in gold. Many of us are defeated by moments of depression and other feelings of negativity because we didn't see a biblical approach to the problem. We did what we thought was right or what we thought we deserved or what other people have done, but not what the scriptures have said to do. We have to be careful not to run our lives by our feelings, for we all know that feelings change. They can't be relied upon. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. To choose to go against your feelings is the very definition of discipline. I mentioned this before, but it'd be foolish to assume that all believers at some point don't struggle this way. Let me give you some names. You may know them. Elijah, John the Baptist, Peter, David. All had moments where they felt like they were losing their mind. Where they felt as though, I, I don't think I can come back from the struggle that I'm in. Yet each was challenged to do what the psalmist did, what I'm encouraging you to do, fight back. Look back at verse 5. Look back at verse 5. You see what I'm talking about. He says there in verse 5, Why are you in despair, my soul, and why are you restless within me? In the New American Standard the Bible, it says, wait for God. But in other versions, it says, hope in God. In verse 5, in verse 11 of our text, and Psalm 43, verse 5, we see the exact same thing coming up again and again and again. And when you see something repeated that often in Scripture, pay attention. Hope in God. Wait on God to vindicate you, to work through you. Trust in Him. I don't know if anyone else here has felt heavy discouragement and you feel like the waters of difficulty are about to swallow you. Let me offer you some advice. Say the very words of the psalm and insert your name into it. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. You will again praise him. This too shall pass. This miserable emotion will soon be gone. This season is only for a moment. Don't be cast down. Don't be shaken. Look to Jesus for weeping may endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Don't be allowed to advertisement for the Lord and what he has done for you. 
Let others see Jesus in you. Confront your anxiety, your depression, your moments of difficulty with confidence in God to see you through. Bring it under the control of the Spirit. Your depression can turn to joy. But the first setting, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for you to hold on to as we try to manage ourselves in this grand scheme of what God is doing in our lives, is to have in us a biblical understanding of our emotions and to keep ourselves focusing on what God wants us to be and to do. And so in essence then, we must never stray from the Father's hand, but lean on Him in every difficulty. The first heading was the acceptance and the recognition. The second heading is the attention and the response. The attention and the response. Giving special attention to your trials and learning how to respond biblically are one of the most crucial lessons that a believer can learn. Thankfully, God has provided us with the resources we need to be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Remember, brethren, faith is doing what is right regardless of the circumstances and leading the rest to God. So how do we apply this when we are overwhelmed by our circumstances? Well, first let's answer this question with a series of helpful questions. Could maybe the nature of my difficult circumstance be as a result of my own sin? Maybe. Throughout the scriptures we see David feeling these feelings of depression due to personal sin in his own life. In Psalm 32, in Psalm 38, and of course the famous Psalm 51 with the sin with Bathsheba, we see it quite clearly. That entire Psalm, Psalm 51, was him getting on his knees and saying, God forgive me, I messed up. So if we are aware of our transgressions, we need to confess it, turn from it, and get on the path of cleansing and forgiveness. You're feeling this, you might be feeling this way because there's sin in your life you have not dealt with. We're not aware of any sin. If we are not aware of any sin, then we need to be careful that we do not fall into the temptation of cursing God in our time of difficulty. And there is a big difference in pouring out your heart to God as opposed to shaking your fist in God's face saying, I'm a good person, why am I struggling? However, the psalmist doesn't mention that he's struggling with any sin. He doesn't mention it. In fact, he's quite confused. He's wondering, God, what's going on? I, I don't seem to be struggling with any known sin. Why is this happening to me? It seems clear that the psalmist has made his enemies aware at some point that the Lord was his God. Because as soon as he had some trouble in his life, they were in his face saying, where is your God? I'm sure you've been there, brethren. <laughs> where you have persons in your life just waiting for you to, to fall, waiting for you to struggle so they can rub in your face that maybe your God isn't real. Or maybe your faith is not as strong as you thought it was. This caused the psalmist to despair even more because he didn't want to bring reproach to the name of God. Lots of people will lie in wait hoping for trouble to come into your life just to taunt you like they did him. They use your circumstances to judge your faith when really your faith should teach you how to handle your circumstances. Remember, when the disciples asked Jesus 
whose sin caused the blindness of the man they encountered in John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Disciples had a poor theology of sin and what it meant to what it means to struggle. But unsurprisingly, the master teacher, our Lord, does not have that problem. Blindness in this case is not a consequence of an individual's sin, but in this case, it was an occasion for the works of God to be manifested. The man's blindness will create an opportunity for healing that will reveal the goodness of God and the power of our Lord. Here's another question. Do I need to attempt to figure out the answer to my problem, or should I just wait until God makes the first move? Well, just like the psalmist, we sometimes get so overwhelmed with our circumstances, we end up with our backs against the wall with nowhere to go. Now, why is this the case? We assume that the answer to getting out of our circumstance lies in our intellect. We assume that. But no, it's in the power of God. Does God use means to accomplish his purposes? Of course. So in essence, he's saying, go ahead and put in that resume for that job that you want. Go ahead to that interview. Go ahead. Go make that appointment with your doctor. Whatever it is that you have to do in life that seems a bit daunting, that seems troublesome, go ahead and do what you need to do and leave the rest to God. God has provided right there in front of you the means to go about to do what needs to be done. We need in faith to trust him even though it seems difficult, even though it seems as though that we can't accomplish the overwhelming circumstances before us. He's saying, go ahead and trust me. However, to do all of that, but failing to pray fervently is where we often go wrong. As long as we have access to God in prayer, there's hope. God can change your circumstances very quickly when he is ready. Look at Joseph in Genesis 39 to 41. God's timing and your timing may not be the same, but God's timing is always perfect. The quicker you realize this and get on your knees and talk to the Father, the easier it will be for you to cope with the depressing circumstances of your life. Next question. Could my attitude be the problem? Three times in the text, the psalmist is aggressive in confronting himself to deal with the despair so that he may finally feel the presence of God again. He knows at the moment that he can't change his circumstances, but he can change his attitude. His focus needs to change from himself and his difficult situation to his God instead, who is able to do exceedingly above all we could ever ask or think. What is fascinating is that by the end of the psalm, the psalmist situation has not changed. It's not as though at the end of the psalm, all of a sudden everything is better and life is rosy and we have no more problems. If you read towards the end of the psalm, there is no happy ending. It's not happily ever after. But what's different is his attitude. His internal emotions at this moment are full of turmoil, but his attitude is now changed because now his eyes are on the Lord and not his circumstance. Now, as opposed to before, he is fighting for hope. He leaves us still fighting at the end of the psalm with a joyful experience in the midst of despair. What do you think the apostle meant when he said 
that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. What do you think he meant by that text? Twice the Apostle Paul said so in Philippians 4.4 and 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16. For many of us, we, we have the wrong attitude. We have this defeatist mindset that shackles our inability to rise out of despair. We, in a lack of faith, stopped fighting. And for some of us, we don't even want to start fighting. The only way to truly obey this command to rejoice in every circumstance is that we, is that we have to change our attitude. Last question. Do you believe that God is sovereign? The easy answer is, well, obviously. I'm a Christian, I go to this church, I know God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. God indeed is sovereign over everything, even the evil, sinful things of this world. No one can thwart God's purposes. Yet it's easy to doubt or forget this when you're in the midst of a trial. I want to share this with someone just so they were with the phone, someone back at home was going through a difficulty and they were just like, oh my goodness, I just, I would never be able to get out of this. Um, and I, I had to remind them, why are you, again, putting Jehovah in a box? Limiting the power of God, or at least attempting to. Let me show you why this is important that you stay away from that. The psalmist says something in verse 7 that has taken me for a tailspin. What did he say in verse 7? We're already ready. He says, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls and all your breakers and your waves have passed over me. For years I read that text and never understood it. <laughs> just figured it just another beautiful um, poetic part of this verse. But then careful study, let me realize something. He says, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. I hope you didn't miss it. But even though it was evil men who were oppressing him, the psalmist is confident that it was God who had them on a leash. It was God who set the trial for this purpose. That's why he said, all your ways. If you look in your Bible, you may see that the your is capitalized. All your ways. Hmm. All your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. Your waves have passed over me. The psalmist never loses his grip on this truth. In fact, he, he's trying to keep his little faith boat afloat. It keeps him from capsizing in the sea of emotions that are coming from every side. How many of you this morning have learned this from the waves that have broken over you in your lives? How many of you this morning have discovered that it's great relief in saying that God rules over the winds and God rules over the waves. I hate it when we try to blame Satan for a trial. As if he sneaked up on God and, and God didn't know what was happening and he did it while God's back was turned. But it's clear that the Lord sends trials for your benefit. Mm. You may ask, how, how can God be good but allow his children to struggle? You see, our problem is that we underestimate how weak we are. 
And we're not honest about the extent of our pride. We're not willing to admit how much we love the things of this world, great or small. So the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, sends overwhelming trials to teach us that we cannot trust ourselves, but we must trust in him alone. My final heading before I sit down. The answer and the relief. The answer and the relief. I hope you hold on to this, brethren. Um, the first heading was the acceptance and the recognition. The second heading itself too brought us back to the attention and the response. Finally, the answer and the relief. When we're struggling, we should see it as an opportunity to go closer to God. Not just seek relief from the situation. <laughs> what is the concern of the psalmist? What's his concern? Was it that he was in pain? Of course he was. But he realized that the answer he desired, the relief he needed, was in God. This is why he starts out in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants or longs for you, O God. Powerful. Powerful. By saying he thirsts for God like a deer pants for, for the stream, he's teaching us something about how you must view the difficulties that you're going through. What makes it so beautiful and so crucial for believers is that he's not thirsting so he can get relief from his difficult situation. No, he's not thirsting to get relief from his difficult situation. He is not thirsting to maybe find escape from his enemies. He is not even, he's not, he's not even thirsting so that he may, he may destroy them, that God may destroy them. No, no, no. He is thirsting because he wants to be closer to God. That's the difference. When we think about this, and I realize that I can sum it up in one line. It's not about the relief. It's about the relationship. It's not about the relief. It's about the relationship. I'm going after you, God, not because I want you to take away my pain. I'm going after you, God, because I love you. And I want you Nothing is wrong, let me say this, nothing is wrong with praying for relief or even praying that the Lord deal with your enemies. Nothing is wrong with that. Lord, protect me from those that are trying to harm me. Lord, take away this struggle from me. Nothing is wrong with that. But what is most important is that you hunger for God himself. Oh, I hope, brethren, that you hunger for him this morning. To know him, to have fellowship with him. One theologian said this, the humble soul endeavors more how to glorify God in afflictions than how to get onto them. If you missed it, brethren, that's the answer to anxiety and depression. It's not necessarily in a pill, not necessarily in a health worth book, it's not necessarily in some podcast online. That's the answer if you missed it. Okay, in case you did, let's get real and attach a name to it. So you can begin to see that the answer is not in a list of rules, but the answer is a person and a relationship. A, look to Jesus. 
The thirst of the psalmist seems to grow more and more as we get deeper into the psalm. He doesn't slacken. Yet he battled with all these feelings with periods where he was high and low and high again and low. But the suffering drove him closer in dependence to God. More and more, the deeper we get into the psalm, the more he's connecting with God. Psalmist realized that he needed to hope in God, for God is our help. The psalmist obviously had a relationship with God before the trial came, because in verse 6 and verse 11 of Psalm 42, he says, My God, he makes it personal. In verse 8, he says, The God of my life. In verse 9, he says, My rock. In Psalm 43, he says, The God of my strength. God, my exceeding joy. My God. You see, he's saying it's you belong to me. This is personal. Because he had a familiar relationship with God. When the spear came, he could go to God when he felt depressed. The time to prepare for the storm is before the storm, not during the storm. He had that relationship with God before. So when the storm came, he was ready. The Sit with Jesus. Not only look to Jesus, but sit with Jesus. In verse 2 and verse 5 of our text, the psalmist clearly wants to appear before God and know the help of his presence. Yet, if we're honest, brethren, when we are depressed, that is the last thing we want to do. When we're sad, we wake up that Sunday morning and we're like, I just don't feel like going to church. We don't want to talk about the issue. We don't want to get on our knees. We do everything else in life, but don't do the things that we need to do. It can oftentimes be scary. If there is sin in your life, you don't want to come to church or be around the explanation of his word because the pastor may just shed some light on your sin and that's the last thing you want. We're sometimes afraid that that glorious light of the gospel may expose some things in our lives that we need to see. That we would rather have hidden. Things we don't want to deal with. So, we don't sit with Jesus. We don't run to Jesus. We hide. So the only person who is truly ready to sit is a person who is ready and willing to confess and forsake their sin. That's why sometimes when you don't feel the presence of God and his help, it's often because he wants us to seek him even more. Come and sit with him. In fact, it's a wonderful sign that you are his child when you constantly want to sit with him. You thirst for him, as the psalmist says. You want him. When you sit with Jesus, his light and his truth show you the way back. It's such a sad reality when you have to beg believers to come to church. It's such a sad reality when those who profess to know God, you have to begrudgingly force them to read his word. If you love Jesus, then you would want to be with Jesus. Psalmist begged for it. He begged for it. Psalm 43 verse 3, he begged to be fed in the house of God. Begged. Even if you don't feel like it, read his word. And ask for his spirit to heal your broken heart. If you look at verse 4 of Psalm 42, again, reminding you what he said there, he said that when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. He talks about going back to the house of God with the people of God and connecting with them. 
with joy and thanksgiving, a multitude celebrating a festival. The psalmist is stressing the importance of corporate worship and how we should not just be pure sentimentalism or emotionalism, but a powerful experience of worship to, worship to Jehovah. The psalmist is confirming his faith in the midst of difficulty by remembering how real God was to him when he lifted up holy hands. When you come into this church to worship God, are you going through the motions? Or are you connecting with God? And finally, praise Jesus. I mentioned this before, but how singing helped me, um, singing has helped me in my darkest times. I encourage you to try it, even if you think you can't sing. I know the last thing you want to do when you're depressed is praise the Lord, but remember that it was never a suggestion. Never was a suggestion. Throughout the scriptures, it was a command. Look at verse 8 and you see what he's saying here. At verse 8, the Lord will send his goodness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Wow. Let us make something clear, brethren. He's not singing because he's happy. Because he's obviously not happy. He's singing to be happy. He's singing not because he's happy. He's singing to be happy. He's singing his prayer. He's pleading for his life in this song. Sometimes, brethren, you just have to sing. Who cares if you're out of tune? Who cares if you don't know all the words? Who cares? Just lift your voice where you are and sing those hymns that we sing on a Sunday morning. Hymns that say things like, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Hymns that say things like, be not dismayed, whatever be tied, God will take care of you. Hymns that say things like, under his wings I'm safely abiding, though the night deepens and tempests are wild, still I can trust him, I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me, and I am his child. So in conclusion, brethren, remember I told you that this is likely that the writer of Psalm 42 is also probably writing Psalm 43, maybe, probably. I'd have referred to it throughout the sermon. But after a cry for vindication in verse 1 and of Psalm 43, and then another series of questions in verse 2, as to why it seems like God has abandoned him. In Psalm 43, he begs for that light and that truth, that light and that truth that we should have as believers. Not his own works, no, 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 no. Not his own truth, no, 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 no. Only what God has to offer. Because if God doesn't send it, he knows he will never have it. It's fascinating, actually. If you look at it, you realize what I'm talking about. That light, that truth. In Psalm 43, verse 1, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people, for the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. Mm. Wow. Telling us and teaching us something here. After that vindication, we see submission in verse 3. What do you see in Psalm 43, verse 3? Send out your light and your truth. Wow. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. It's important. 
He began in depression, but at this point in the psalm, he knows he must praise the Lord. For through the light and truth of the gospel, he will see his way through. That is his answer. That becomes his hope. Without it, he's lost. He's like, Lord, I've been through all these up and down struggles, but here am I now. Psalm 43, here am I, Lord, now. And I realize that I need your light and I need your truth. If I'm going to get over the line. Without it, Lord, I'm lost. He will never find his way. One theologian said this, We seek not light to sin by, nor truth to be exalted by, but that they will become our practical guides to the nearest communion with God. Excited by the anticipation of what this light and this truth from verse 3 will do for him, he says at the end of verse 3 that he will come into the house of God, the tabernacle. That's what he says right at the end of it. Let me bring them to your holy hill and to your dwelling, is what he says. Why does he want to go there? Because that is where he can look to Jesus. That's where he can sit with Jesus. That's where he can praise Jesus. At the tabernacle. Right there. And brethren, it's there that he says something in verse 4 that's truly fascinating. Psalm 43, verse 4. He says, Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. Praise you with the liar, O God, my God. Why is that important? Brethren, you get to the altar when you receive his light and his truth. The altar, his altar, is the cross where Jesus shed his blood for us. Remember back then, to approach God in his holy place is by means of the altar. All the value and efficacy of what Christ did for us and Calvary is right there at the altar. This is the blessed result of receiving his light and his truth. So brethren, go to the altar. Right there at the altar, you'll find joy for your sorrow. At the altar, you'll find peace for your struggle. At the altar, you'll find the rest that you'll be looking for. At the altar, you'll find the hope of mankind. At the altar, at the cross, you'll find Jesus. That's why the psalmist could end Psalm 43 by repeating what he said in verse 5 and verse 11 of Psalm 42. Let me remind you, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. One great theologian said this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks, this soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So what does he do? He stands up to himself. He talks 
to himself, you must be the same weapon. Self, listen for a moment, I will speak to you. Those thoughts are creeping up in your mind. This time, you talk to yourself. On this side of the cross, we know the greatest ground for our hope is Jesus Christ crucified for our sins and triumphant over death. So the main thing we must learn is to preach the gospel to ourselves. So no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're dealing with this morning, I don't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you're experiencing right now, I'm saying, tell yourself, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Tell yourself, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You tell yourself that when you want to wallow in self-pity and doubt and pain and anxiety. You tell yourself, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You tell yourself, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word and you've caused us to evaluate ourselves. It is for us now, Lord, to look within and ask us, ask ourselves an important question. Why are we so downcast in our soul, Lord? Let us put our hope in you. Run to you, Lord, when your waves and billows come over us, you are meant to prune us, bring us closer to you. That though the enemy may rage, and though the circumstances may be overwhelming, you are sufficient to save, you are sufficient to keep, and to cover us in our time of need. May we say these words, Lord, these scriptures, these truths, these precepts, to help us evaluate ourselves in light of your truth. When the dark times may come, to know that your light will shine through. Bless us, Father. Keep us in your will. In Jesus' name.